Hello, my name is David Turner and this is episode 14 of the Lunar Poetry Podcast. Today I'm at the Welcome Collection in London and I'm joined by Drs Holly Pester and James Wilkes. Hello you two. Hello. How are you doing? Hiya. Um, just a quick note, this morning we topped 5,000 combined views on the YouTube channel, so thank you very much for everyone listening. I still can't believe that anyone bothers tuning in, but it's really <laughs> nice, thanks very much. I did say at a poetry reading the other night, it's perfect for anyone that likes poetry and podcasts, but if you do, then you should get out more, because there's more to do in life. But I really appreciate people listening. <laughs> Today's episode will centre around the theme of rest, and its starting point will be the residency programme uh, Hubbub at Welcome Collection, which started in Octo October 2014 and runs until July 2016. But before we start talking, uh, I guess we'll introduce themselves. We'll start with Holly. Um, I'm Holly Pester and I'm a poet and a researcher and a collaborator as part of the Hubbub um, team. And I'm James Wilkes. I'm also a poet and researcher and um, I am one of the um, Hubbub uh, core group uh, here at, at Welcome. So to begin with I have a quote from the homepage of the Hubbub group website that I think sets the tone pretty well for today and that is the urge to be busy defines modern life and maybe James you could tell us a bit about what the project is and then we can start having a discussion sure. about your roles here. Yeah sure okay so um, we're a group of researchers um, from many different disciplines we've got artists, poets, um, scientists, psychologists, geographers, historians, sociologists, um, many others, nearly 50 of us and um, we are a project um, investigating rest and its opposites so um, rest is this term which is which is actually really hard to define and um, one of the ways we, we want to approach it because it, I think it is something that's really important to people's lives um, today um, one of the ways we, we're trying to approach it is by looking at its opposites so tumult, activity, work, labour um, uh, busyness, noise all these things which in a sense surround that that silhouette or empty space which is which is rest um, so we're here um, at the Welcome Collection for two years, we're in, in residence um, on the fifth floor and um, we are uh, doing research in all sorts of different fields, producing um, events, exhibitions, um, research papers, a whole range of different things. Yeah, so Holly, how did you become involved with the project? Um, through Jamie, I think each member of the cool group kind of bought a, a sort of um, crack team <laughs> from their <laughs> discipline and um, Jamie brought in like a, an, a, a wonderful um, group of poets and performers and artists and musicians to kind of be part, be collaborators within the sort of wider network of Hubbub. Mm. So I, I came in um, as a poet but also um, as, a, as an academic doing um, academic kind of research into forms of um, practice-based inquiry um, and poetics, this kind of thing. And I think that that quote you read out, that the urge to be busy, I think that's, I think that's really provocative because a lot of what we're doing is, a lot of speaking for myself and I, I think Jamie as well. It's like it's more about a critique of that, not urge to be busy, but the kind of the apparatus that imposes busyness on people mm. and 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 the the um, the um, the oppression of busyness more than anything, rather than people's kind of impulse to. I'm sure we can be definitely uh, yeah. talk about the oppression <laughs> of uh, busyness <laughs> as we go on. Yeah, and James, how did you? you um, so I'd been involved in other projects working with um, neuroscientists in the past and I was interested in kind of doing some further work in an inter inter interdisciplinary context and I met um, other members of the core group um, through ver in various ways over the past few years um, and um, then we kind of put together this project specifically to because there was this opportunity to bring people together and to really try and think as Holly said critically about this topic um, my own interests have been kind of around the relationship between poetry and various kinds of noise, whether that's understood in a kind of um, linguistic sense or in a sort of performance sense. So, um, yeah, the, the, the relationship be between noise and rest in, in poetry itself. So there was a kind of ongoing interest, but that's gone in various directions as this project's progressed, mm. not always in ways that I expected, actually. Yes, yeah, so I first met uh, Holly at... Um, Kyle Chigonni's event Sound and Poetry at the ICA in London and um, 
but would it be more appropriate to say that you're both more interested in noise rather than the concept of what sound means to poetry? It seems the, the stuff that I've either seen you re read or seen online, is it more about noise? Do, do, Probably, I, yeah, no, I think noise has been a, a kind of shared sort of like kind of philosophical question between us for a while. We've known each other for a long time as um, researchers and poets. But um, I think a voice and, and the, the, the sort of work of the voice, the effort of the voice and all the sort of um, linguistics information and extra linguistic information that comes out of voice, of so obviously noise mm. and it's mm. kind of extra communicative capacity is it, it, and the poetics of that is a really interesting but in performance but also in 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 how it's scored and how it's text and but also in how it kind of it becomes a a tool for investigation a kind of tool for inquiry mm. and in terms of this project obviously it's in the interdisciplinary um in, uh, working with others is obviously mm -hmm. uh, encouraged in this um in this project but in terms of being poets in this uh, in this larger project, are you pretty much left to your own devices, or are you given? A, is everybody given a rough brief of what is trying to be achieved? Or I, <laughs> I'll say, should I say? So? I mean, it'd be interesting to see what Holly thinks and whether this like tallies with her experience. Because I, I think one of the things we tried to do is actually so so often there's this pressure to produce, you know, like. Um, the, the sort of the context around which it or in which poetry usually happens is okay there's a performance coming up or there's so, or, or there's a you know there's an invitation to contribute to like a, a magazine or something so there's the deadline you know here's the work you get on with it and you make yeah. something and for a long time I found that well increasingly I found that that model is um is really difficult to to work with for me and um I work quite slowly and um what what we wanted to do with this project was really to set up um to set up a, a scenario where there's a bit of space and to say to people this time that you have on the project is not necessarily geared to making something it's it's time to do research it's time to think time to try things out time to experiment and the idea of experiment is really important it's something which i think allows people to come together from many different kind of backgrounds disciplines and to say we're going to try something out here um so that the so the idea is that there's this time to experiment and you know we hope that people will make things out of that and people of course often do but by not saying okay I mean obviously there are dates and things that we want to produce things on but the I think the ethos that we that certainly I'm trying to kind of work with is is getting away from that a little bit and saying this is a time to try things out we hope things will come out of it but a failed experiment or rather an experiment that fails is not a fail is not a failed experiment because you know it's it's a trying it's a it's an essaying it's a it's a uh, an exploration and if you don't get what you want what you thought you would get out of it this time well that's useful too so that's the kind of attitude we're trying to develop I think I don't know if you're experienced yeah that's up. I think there's been a, a great deal of freedom of not having to produce work on dem and demand and 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 that because that would be that wouldn't go at, at all with this idea of critiquing busyness or critiquing kind of um because I, I feel like even though there is a sort of environment of academic research, we're also kind of moving away from that. In, in academia as well, is kind of like producing research yeah, constantly yeah. to a, to a quota and to a sort of to, to weird levels of impact and that don't really make sense to anybody. So I think, yeah, just having a sp some space to do some really like slow thinking and and conversations and 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 sharing your ideas in in informal kind of anecdotal kind of context so it's yeah i think it, that's I mean that's been one of the most important aspects of the project actually that there's no kind of pressure on output mm. no i was just scribbling some notes but i think you made that point quite nicely though it would it seems quite apt that there isn't pressure to meet uh, traditional targets because mm. I suppose what the, the question of what it means to be productive is similar to what it means to be busy mm -hmm. and these traditional yeah. views of what we yeah. what we hold yeah. and it um, and it does put a lot of pressure on people doesn't it because yeah. we don't all all work in that way I'm not everyone you know all our minds are different and our work patterns are different and if exactly. we're all put in boxes and expected to perform mm. and be mm. productive in mm. the same way then people will fall out of that very quickly won't they you know exactly and then it, it just sort of like services the economy of what you're doing without 
without any sort of um, without any sense of how it's benefiting but how, yeah. how it's kind of like um, serving a sort of wider question it's just like kind of fueling this kind of yeah. this this never-ending need for poetry as if there is one you know it's more about kind of and it's really hard though I think it's really hard to battle it on a kind of psychic level I certainly feel it like there's a deeply pernicious individuating individualistic kind of thing going on which is all about like um you know if you're more productive you're more visible you're more like it's in in this kind of micro economy right. mm. i i think and i think it does as you sort of were suggesting um tend to tend to at least um make it harder to kind of think about like a, an ethics or a generosity of po like mm -hmm. how can poetry be something generous how can it be something which um and exists between probably people probably critical yeah, as well, yeah 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 definitely um and there's this thing there's like the idea of productivity and poetry is a particularly sort of strange one really because i kind of think of poetry as this effort sink like you put so much effort it take for me anyway so much effort to actually produce this stuff and then reading it is so hard and requires so much time and to be able and i want to be able to like i want to be able to give that time willingly and freely to another person or another collective of people whatever it might be and to say i'm going to read your work and i'm going to do this because it's, it's something i want to do and it's something i think is like uh, it's like about a good a good life is to mm -hmm. is to be able to to but to, to spend that time with someone's words or expression or whatever you want to call it with someone's creative production um but that's you know that's hard and it goes against that sense of like always being on I think yes yeah. Yeah. Um, and how is the project being assessed you know I've, I just want to talk about the mechanics yeah. of being on a residency like this because I yeah. think a lot of people would be wondering what the hell is going on yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, how good, does this work with and, good reason um, yeah so yeah. so I think I think the, the funder so the Wellcome Trust who funded the project um, what they did was they created this working space and they created a grant at the same time and our group were the first group to kind of get to get that grant so the grant is there to allow us to work and the whole thing is kind of thought of as an experiment so obviously in order to get it we had to put together a proposal in which we talked about the, the things we'd investigate and the ways in which we do it and the sort of things we produce like it, it's not we don't we're not existing in some kind of you know like outside the, the dominant kind of structures of funding that exist in academia or para-academic world. Um, but I think there's a lot more freedom in this particular grant than there would be in other grants to um, allow things to evolve and to allow things to change as they go along. And that's created a space of, I think, relative freedom and relative autonomy, which is um, particularly in the kind of current landscape, really, really refreshing. I think actually I'd like to maybe we should return to this idea of uh, what it is to be productive because I think there's a lot of pressure on uh, any any artist to to be seen to producing work especially if you live in a if your practice is the kind that relies on funding mm. you know very much so you, all you seem to be doing with your life is trying to prove your worth <laughs> your your productivity and what that money's been used for but um, when Holly and I first met we discussed this idea didn't we that um, there's a danger of rest becoming a corporate tool to aid productivity yeah and what it means to rest and how perhaps we're being told to rest but for somebody else's benefit now often yeah yeah and i think the, these kind of um these kind of discourses of of um of rest are kind of creeping up that they're they're just um they're just about kind of keeping the body or keeping the subject in kind of in a state of work or you know you're either at work or you're or you're you're recuperating in order to kind of go back to work to be more efficient and productive so and I think um there is a kind of corporatization of of the of, of the idea of what of what rest is and and um, of what daydreaming is of what um sleep is and um yeah and how our our relation to capital is always gonna is, is you know increasingly more um, creeping into those kind of unwaged hours, um, so I think that's that was that was something that I partic I particularly wanted to sort of kind of make a, a research question, a sort of a kind of a kind of trouble point that I wanted to sort of think out 
through and um so we I mean we've talked a lot about kind of daydreaming and 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 in 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 a kind of opposition to mind wandering and 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 and, and stuff like that and Yeah, I think I think I, I've been thinking about lots of things. I've been thinking about posture and you know, how it, the embodied experience of rest and how we kind of take our work home with us in our backbones and our shoulders and how we kind of mm. end up being kind of articulated in 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 our, not just in our sort of like imaginary space, but in us, you know, in that kind of embodied kind of material way as well. It, it, how it kind of recreates us constantly as kind of work subjects. Um, so yeah, so thinking about thinking about how the body and language can become a can become a sort of protest to that as well and how how poetry can kind of seek out those kind of forms of protest to to those impositions of of be, of becoming more and more a constant work subject hmm. and i i think just kind of to add to that um i think that so creativity is a term which has kind of been completely um, incorporated, you know, as a sort of tool of kind of um, business and industry. Mm. You know, it's something it's it's an imperative, right, to be creative in your in your work for <laughs> for capital. Um, it and, and in that kind of context, I think it's it's particularly important to kind of think how poetry might provide a point against that. Um, and sort of on the back of that almost or in parallel with that there's this there's this kind of um you know this sort of fantasy emerges of like endless rest and the, and and the possibility that you might be a really creative person if only you could relax and you know it's almost like mm. it's almost kind of creativity <laughs> as a spa experience which is like you know <laughs> horrific right and, um so so i've been kind of thinking about I haven't been thinking about, it, but I've I've actually been ended up like making stuff in really squeezed moments, mm. and I think, I mean, I think you linked you sent a link to that really interesting article which I've completely gone out of my head, but it was about um, kind of um, the way in which the idea of a novel, for example, is complete is almost like obscene today. The idea of like the time to read and write a novel being here I'm just flaming novelist <laughs> which is not my intention <laughs> but that but I thought it was a really provocative interesting piece to read I I can't remember I mean when we maybe God, I can look it up but yeah this sort of squeezed making really mm -hmm. that the idea that actually it's enough it's enough I mean I'm I'm like struggling with huge lack of sleep at the moment with a, a small a small baby in 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 in, in our household and um you know, like this, the idea that you might just have a few moments in which to write something down is, or, to, or to make something, I think, is is actually something that's worth exploring. Is something good about that. Yeah. Um, it's your baby, right? You haven't just... Yeah, yeah. Random baby. It, no, it, cool. it is. It's just cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really interesting that this idea of um, creativity being sold, sold to people as mm. some sort of sparring experience because I can remember when I started writing I started writing again probably I moved away from visual arts and moved towards mm. writing again a couple of years ago and people said oh it must be really nice for you and I was like what what are you talking about it's horrible <laughs> I don't have enough time and when I do it's, yeah. I hate myself for it. <laughs> but no it's um, I there's there's a, another point to it isn't there that if you're not if you're not making the time to be creative you're somehow failing as well mm. you know and we've all busy lives and stuff. I think yeah it's a it's an odd concept to be told that it's something to aim for you know it's something you should do if you want to yeah. you know and you should we should all be allowed to prioritize our lives and make more time for it if that's what we want but to yeah. be sold the idea of a creative life is odd I mean if you if you look at the arts jobs website it's amazing how many of their creative jobs are bookkeeping jobs mm -hmm. <laughs> you know but because you're doing it for an arts charity it's somehow yeah. part of you a get paid less. Yeah, you just get yeah. paid less than if you worked yeah. in a normal yeah. accountancy company. But um, I don't know, maybe you get a couple of tickets for things each year. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you definitely get asked to work longer hours, I think, as well. Right. <laughs> but I think there's a really interesting thing there, which is about the role of administration in 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 making, in, in creative 
practice, you know, and it, oh, it, we talk about that a lot, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's it's an interesting thing. Email. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Holly's like great, great <laughs> hatred, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, something that I would definitely share, but maybe I have just a higher tolerance level. I don't know. Um, but yeah, all the book, you know, the bookkeeping. I mean, bookkeeping and poetry is a sort of odd combination. But you see so many things on, yeah. It's mm. it's 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 that unacknowledged. It's often unacknowledged. I think that that mm -hmm. is part of what it yeah. means today. As you were saying, you know, if you if you make a living out of some form of artistic practice, well, how are you gonna how are you gonna make it? Are you going to work a around it, teaching, or or, or do you know, doing some form of other other work? Are you going to be applying for grants? Are you going to be trying to make work which, like in some respect, appeals to a paying public? You know, there's the mm -hmm. economics of it are always are always there. No, since starting the podcast, I seem to have just become my own PA. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm just e emailing on, on this iPad constantly. Anyway, uh, I'll go on about that too much. <laughs> change the subject. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned it quickly there. I was going to ask you, do you both feel like you get enough rest? I mean, yeah, I mean, having done, having said, talked about the, the lovely wide open space of this project, I'm doing it like in between two of jobs. <laughs> and... Um, but I mean, I'm single, childless person. I I I, I guess it's it's relative, isn't it? But um, but I, I mean, I I what counts as rest? I don't know what counts as. I mean, for me, it's a space where I um, where I, I, because it could be a quite a passive thing to be rested. But I I, I think it's um, um, a moment where you 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 get to sort of. I don't know. Think more um, in in more dissenting, more rebellious ways. So it's it, it's like a sort of where you get to be, a, where you get to kind of situate yourself a little bit outside the apparatus that you're kind of stuck in in a normal way. Um, so I don't know. They're always quite cramped spaces as well, and and I think I don't know. And almost necessarily so for the for the almost kind of dangerous way you get to think in those spaces they're kind of cramped and stolen and fugitive but um yeah i'm a, I'm a really good sleeper mm. it's like it's like this skill i have i could go to sleep <laughs> right now and it would be lovely <laughs> you could just carry on <laughs> yeah because my follow-up is that what you meant the, no, 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 no i did but, but the follow-up question was then going to be uh, what is rest for you like personally you know, because it's, it must be different. Because I don't personally mm. feel like sleep is very restful. Well, no, so, it's not. I mean, Blancho, you know, like Blancho talks about the other night that you have while you're asleep, where you, where it's actually just full of panic and alarm and activity, and this other you is doing all this kind of having all these traumatic, <laughs> terrifying, or mm. brilliant or weird experiences. So yeah, sleep itself is it's it's difficult to think about it as a rest. Mm. And we sort of excluded it from this project actually partially because like. You could talk about anything, you know. Rest yes, could, yeah. could just spread until it encompasses mm. everything. So sleep is just one place we've gone. We're not looking at sleep. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Um, I find that question really hard to answer. I've been thinking about it for two years and I haven't yet come up with a good answer. Like, what does rest mean to me? I mean, in some ways, it's the most kind of banal, vanilla things like going for a walk. So I really feel like I ought to have something that's better than that, yeah. but I actually don't. No, it's no, like that's the truth. That's, but I think it's yeah. like it's it's a, it's a moment where you're not being sponsored or paid or it's, yeah. I don't know something that's outside which is so difficult when when you kind of do lots of things and maybe you're precariously employed or self-employed and all this it's really difficult to know what's an unwaged moment hmm. but they they seem to be I think walking and and stuff like that is I, I think you should be all right about your walks <laughs> that's, that's okay it counts it's definitely as rest. normal walks I <laughs> uh, just it, it, because it always strikes me as unfortunate. A lot of people that are striving to be writers in any way, it seems to be the best way to ruin all of your holidays in life. You know, yeah. Because you never get a chance. But but that doesn't mean that your own practice can't be restful. Yeah. It's just this idea that we carry, because quite often you, people are all working, you know, working one or two other jobs to pay rent and stuff. You know, it is in the times where you might imagine you should be resting. Yeah. Maybe you're working on your artistic practice or but um in terms of like the so so far we, we talked about this idea of what it is to be productive and how we rest and what rest means to you how did these ideas inform your writing before you came onto the project 
was it was this a part of the way you wrote anyway or the way things you thought about i mean i was i was kind of exploring the role of um of of noise in in composition in 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 the in the process of composing poetry um so i was i, I was kind of interested in ideas from like contemporary contemporary music but i was i was less interested in actually noise as you might understand it you know like just to just to backtrack a second so the, the thing about noise is it's basically a category and you can put anything in that box and the point at which you know you you twist you, you turn the dial and you say that's noise that's sound and you can do that anywhere and all sorts of things get chucked into that box called noise some of the things holly mentioned earlier like um uh you know extra linguistic or kind of paralinguistic information about the body the posture uh, the and the kind of stuff I got really interested in was the kind of ums and ers, the ticks, the sort of infelicities of speech, the kind of messiness, the stuff that you actually, if you were making like a sort of Radio Four type podcast, you would edit out. And there's a deumming thing, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. that they do. So I got interested in all this other information and thinking about how that might actually be useful for, like, reclaim for for, for poetry for, for for the kind of practice I'm doing. So I was doing all sorts of stuff about. Um, associative writing or kind of writing in and I went to an anechoic chamber um, then allowing um, kind of noise through association or kind of um, uh, so use, using a recording using a handheld recorder um, so I knew exactly where my ums and ers and stutters and stammers were bringing that back into the process of writing so transcribing that allowing associations to creep in which is a sort of form of linguistic noise rather than that literal verbal noise and using those to sort of drive the evolution of 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 the of the work um across different iterations that's the kind of thing i was interested in i've done less of that in this project i've kind of got interested in other stuff really but that that was the stuff i was looking at beforehand yes. um and that, a lot of shared interest but i, I was a i was kind of particularly interested in the idea of effort in 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 the voice and what what's an efforted um, um, sort of um, objects of speech and and how how does that kind of signify the body and what it's doing and the conditions it's in or what it's kind of experiencing and whether what kind of information effort carries. So I was thinking about work song and um, sea shanties and and how how the voice mediates um, what work and activity of, of the body and how it how it also kind of reaches out to kind of collective voices and um so so there was a kind of an obvious kind of link between that sort of research and, and the, some of the research i've been doing here which is on lullabies and stuff so that kind of sense of of of, of voice and speech um kind of performing the the labor and the effort of the body and the tensions of the body. And I think the fact that you, I mean, as you, you put it in our, some of our previous conversations, that you know, when you construe a lullaby as a work song, that is a really interesting move because it immediately completely flips the idea of rest straight over into like yeah. economy and effort and and the work and that and that gendered work of childcare. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's yeah. Yeah, so these lullabies, it's been a product of um, the research here, hasn't it? This is yeah. new work that has developed from being involved with the research. Definitely. This, I mean, the, the hubbub and, and, and working with the people here was like the laboratory kind of point. And, and, and I've always been more interested, and this is the kind of way I do research as well, and I think this is something Jamie and I have in common, rather than kind of stare, you know, picking a category like noise or lullabies and rather than kind of staring straight at it and doing some sort of cultural excavation of the of the artifacts of lullabies and really kind of learning about them doing some sort of ethnographic survey of lullabies I just wanted to use it as a as a as a space for us to have a conversation in that term in that discourse and use it almost like a kind of a workshop method and um, so we used to come into this room actually and we'd talk about lullabies very kind of personally, anecdotally and with kind of um, research as well and how it kind of crossed over into different research people have been doing and I did do some kind of research into the, into kind of the, um, the historical kind of um, experience and archival research into lullabies but we and we just make them up and we just kind of sing to each other because I'm really interested in the idea of it being like the the mother's work song and that kind of 
and instead of the the objects being like the um the farming equipment or the um the 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 net or the the um the, the um I can't remember any of the terminology for sea shanties now, but you know, rather than that kind of equipment, it's the baby that's mm. being kind of that's being efforted to a sort of a different state. And um, but I was also really interested in what if you take that dynamic away? What if it's not a mother and a baby? What if it's just two bodies? What is that kind of um, what is that exchange then? And what is the kind of the gift of it? And what is the what is the labour of it? Who's and how does it become a how does it become a really kind of interesting model for collaboration and improvisation where you're kind of passing passing different energies back and forth so and it became a really it it was a really kind of generative object to have in the room and and just kind of improvise and play and sort of experiment around mm. it as 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 an idea the lullaby as an idea um and yeah, and then and then the, and then it kind of took off, and I started working with other people and putting together some sort of new collaborations with musicians and singers and and non non singers because yeah. we we're, we're always like really keen to kind of have the non expert kind of experience of voice and body as part you know as being a sort of a critical kind of mm. way to investigate an idea as well, not not in, not investigating things through an expertise of it. Yeah. But through a yeah. kind of more everyday experience of it makes it kind of something genuinely folk, doesn't it? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I've got a very folk voice, so I think. <laughs> I think you've got a, a really folk voice too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Me too. I think um, I should buy myself a big uh, segue buzzer because it was never my intention to become a very professional presenter on these things, but um, it would seem natural now that you might read some of oh, yeah. lullabies since we're going to have some readings in the program. <laughs> So these are um, a couple of poems that, um, and I think for people that I kind of introduce them as lullabies, that might feel to some people like a sort of like a misrepresentation of what they are. But um, like I said, it, it's more about using lullaby as a sort of as a medium through which to kind of think how other things, the relationship with with rest and 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 work and and how the body's experience of those kind of states and how you can kind of through a collective through a sort of um through a collaboration you can you can work out new new gestures for that um so this is just a poem called a rush of bad sleep a rush of bad sleep efforts through gains just lately and performs contracts just g gains ribbing effects toothless it pours four legs into us learns a sleep map map to weak tea moves tea clap moves across you breaks open limbs move past rabbits feel good a good cure feels good under the back under the bed guilty worms move along brood lines and of course gods look look over the corpses gone itchy it goes gets in secret company tamper near economies sick copies secure a little flushed doll speaks across me something made moves and bit me turtle my life like william blake turfed out to landings creep on the beef field in a right state practical is infected by day is what it is um do you want another one? Yeah. <laughs> this is the um, the poem that I think um, David, you and I have had a conversation about, and um, it's called "Tell Us How," and it was written using um, the forms um, from the WDP, um, where you would um, for a benefit claimant forms um, and um, capacity to work forms. They're called. Uh, it was just really. Um, struck by how horrific these forms are and how people are forced to describe their body and I think describe, thinking about them through lullabies and thinking about um, I don't know permissions to not work and permissions to rest and permissions to be um, in, a, in a state of, of, of non-activity um, so this is called um, Tell Us How 
by moving we mean including the use of aids your usual use but with help tell us how far you move safely root on level when needing to stop for example book of tiredness pain breathlessness lack of balance if you round you steps difficulty 50 meters this is a length of five double buses a public swimming pool 100 meters a football pitch 200 meters more it varies use this space to tell us it varies how tell us how tell us if you use stick and tell us how it affects it varies can you go up tell us more about steps reaching if you reach no yes it varies no you tell us more tell us why it varies tell us how it varies arms above your head it varies tell us how picking up and moving picking up and moving a half liquid one pint can you pick up a litre two pint can you pick up and move an empty box it varies a telephone to press a button pick up a pound coin use a pencil thing it varies some of these things tell us more tell us you problem if it varies tell us how it varies by communicating we don't mean communicating can communicate other people ask how about you can understand people for example typing something dangerous the location of a fire yes it varies no get round if you can get tell us how you manage in day lie or bright electric lie yes it varies no use tell us more about your eyes can you get round a place you haven't been to can you see to cross do you have to wash yes less than monthly yes weekly Yes, tell us more about controlling, tell us problems, tell us your clothes because of difficulty, no. By problems we mean staying conscious, we mean physical capabilities, staying conscious when awake. If you have any problems staying conscious while awake, we do not mean falling asleep, you are tired and a reasonable length of time weekly while you are awake. Tell us more monthly, less, less than monthly. Thank you very much and I'm sure anyone that's had experience of those bastard forms that are struck call with them and if you haven't had experience of those forms you're very lucky um, uh, there are a lot of really interesting points that you made actually before before you reading about this side my sister spoke a lot about the not being at when she had her child when my niece was born about not being able to talk about how much work was involved with looking after a baby because as a mother you know you use this sort of, there's a pressure to only speak of the joy that the child brings and it's mm. not talking about how much hard work it is not uh, denying the joy it's just being mm. realistic about how it can be very difficult to and yeah it's just the guilt attached to admitting that you know that there's effort being put in and mm. I don't know it's a very yeah. difficult subject <laughs> uh, yeah I mean I, I've, I, I don't have kids but I, I had a year of looking after my nephew for one day mm. a week and after those days I've never been so bored and exhausted, and I just and how can you how can you be so bored and exhausted at the same time? <laughs> it's just like how can yeah. anything be yeah. as boring and as physically tiring? Me, it's the sheer um, uh, non-stop nature of it mm. that I think is really exhausting, and especially in the first few months uh, when you have no idea what is going on <laughs> or like what this little creature needs. You know, like this 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 thing really i mean this this very animal kind of animal creature like a small animal um mm. uh which obviously has these needs which need to be repetitively met like every you know every 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 hour if not if not less and um yeah it, i mean it's an incredible but there's a sort of intensity to that as well and i kind of um you know i, I took like a month of leave um when he was born and just the sort of intensity of that period was was incredible and there's no day or night um you know and you're just constantly i mean there's no sense in which the the two of you um adults can like get a shift pattern going because it's just like <laughs> complete and you know and and, and then you know the physical implications of, of 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 birth as well there's all sorts of stuff going on um and yeah it's an incredibly intense but i mean you know i i think people all sorts of life experiences bring that and i think maybe i know i guess we're talking about lullaby so it's appropriate to to to, to bring this topic in but there are all sorts of life experiences actually i just want sorry to interrupt yeah, yeah. But i just wanted to follow up by saying it was a really interesting point about how it then branched into relationships just between two people because mm. having lived my whole 
adult life with bipolar. I've had a lot of um, I've had a lot of experience of being quite manic, mm. and looking back on things now with a bit more rationality, I've there have been many occasions where people have basically been been singing lullabies to me, mm. not in not in a traditional sense, but to mm. calm me down, mm. you know, and to to, and I've seen it happen with other, you know, I've, I've um, been in institutions and hospitals, but I also have friends with similar issues, and I've seen it happen to other people. You know, this bond between the person singing the lullaby mm. would never complain about having to go through that act because mm. there's a bond between the two people. But it's mm. completely exhausting mm. being the one that's trying to yeah. calm the situation yeah. and trying to trying to give something. But it's something we do for each other, yeah. isn't it? You know, yeah. and I, I didn't mean that we should ever question doing it. That's not mm. the point. It's just mm. I think there's a very big issue for people that live as carers. You yes, know, exactly. Giving them an output yeah. uh, or somewhere to just go and say, yeah. "Look, I'm really tired." Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this situation is really getting me down. You know, yeah. uh, maybe that's what rest is for people: yeah. the chance to be honest. And yeah. uh, I think that point about care is a really, really important exactly. one. And, to, and, to, and if you shift, if that becomes the, the term, it's like a common ground, I think. Mm. And care is, you know, it's it's to, when you think about the kind of un the, the sort of complete opposite of care it's not even uncaring it's it's worse that 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 this society that society and this government in particular seems to be what definitely is implementing i think like trying to pro, trying to understand the conditions of care and to produce forms of care um which are like outside that state mandated exactly. understanding is really really important yeah and when you look at those forms you just if that's just a tiny taste of the sort of violence that bodies experience and, and people experience in in, 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 a, in a kind of everyday like environment and the, and the, the, so the sort of kind of those intimacies those moments of care and and, and the labor that kind of goes also into sort in into those kind of um, unofficial moments of care I, I think are, are, are really um, important and and so I've been having some amazing conversations um, through lullabies, one of my collaborators, um, Vera Rodriguez, she's a sex worker activist, and 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 she and she works at um, she works she does lots of activism, but she she does lots of organisation um, and and things for for sex workers as like I think everything from um, parties to um, life drawing classes and and singing and this kind of thing and singing as a sort of as a as a sort of means to sort of work with those experiences and, and, and those kind of political struggles uh, but then just, f- just care between lovers between in friendships just in, in, in relationships where you're right that, exactly as you say there is this there is these these tensions and these exhaustions and these traumas um, but and, and then also just like the, the day-to-day tiredness and, and how we kind of how we work to, to sort of relieve those of each other and so yeah I think I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally taken by the idea of um, lullabies being sung in 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 on wards and in hospitals. Mm. I think that's just amazing, actually. I think maybe this is why this subject has uh, been so interesting for me because I've definitely made peop- a lot of people very tired yeah. <laughs> in the last we- twenty years. I've made, I can be quite tiring to be around sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, J- uh, Jamie. Ha- have you have you had any uh, have you developed any work as a result directly of the project? Yeah, one of the things that I got really interested in was this um, was the archives of a of a health centre which was based in Peckham between the wars, and it was called the Pioneer Health Centre, or it's sort of also known as the Peckham Experiment. And um, the reason I got interested in this, in terms of the sort of the relationship to the project, it was it was about creating a space in which people could um, have some form of self-determination and decide ways in which they wanted to live their lives healthily. So they provided equipment, for example, sports equipment often, or just equipment for leisure activities, and people could self-organise and work out how they wanted to use them. And it was set up by these two doctors, um, Innes Pierce and George Scott Williamson. Um, and one of them, uh, George Scott Williamson, was a theosophist, so he had these kind of esoteric, spiritual, philosophical ideas um, and the material is just really powerful. It's just really, really interesting stuff. Um, weird, weird stuff. Um, lots of sort of esoteric ideas about um, the nature of men and women and how they ought to kind of what their potentials are. 
um, lots of strange metaphors for the ways in which people might live together, but also really, you know, like they were doing stuff really pra practically and pragmatically, and people felt their lives to be changed by this experience. So I think on the, it's got loads of kind of progressive kind of elements, loads of things which are a bit, which are definitely more sinister and today feel like they're tending towards a kind of eugenicist kind of thing and lots of stuff which is just plain weird <laughs> which I really which which is you know obviously like a a, a, a gold mine in terms of writing stuff so I've been trying to just live with this material and Holly one of the previous projects she did was looking at archival material and creating work out of I guess being with an archive in a sense yeah. um so I was really taking taking kind of my lead from from her approach really trying to live with this material and writing short stories, some of which sometimes collage directly images or phrases or entire chunks of letters from the archive, other times taking some of the ideas and producing scenarios out of them. So this is a kind of ongoing project that I'm working on. Um, and I'm interested in just trying to use, I guess, yeah, short short fiction. Mm. Short, I don't know what to call it, prose? Just prose is probably good I enough. Pro, yeah. 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 A story, this, though. This, yeah, yeah, I mean... I was just about to say something that was going to make it sound even more pretentious. We are trying to steer clear of too many labels yeah. because I don't think it's actually for these kinds of discussions. Yeah. It's not very yeah. relevant, yeah. although it, to put things into context, it. But it's amazing how pretentious it can now sound by saying, "Oh, I, I don't care about labels. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so interested in everything. <laughs> My work encompasses everything. I can't be labelled." <laughs> but. Um, uh, it's going to sound, seem horrendously professional as well. Um, maybe we could take a reading. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your latest project. Yeah. So this is called. I'm just going to read a section of it. Um, it's called. So even the tree has its yoke. First visit to mother's studio for three months. She showed me the axolotls. The tank is huge, far too big for the space really. Set on a trestle in the middle of the workshop. She pulled an old bedsheet off it and lit up a neon tube she placed behind it the light flickering through the soft grey water like summer in Whitby. Mother has always had a theatrical streak, mostly inappropriate. I asked if the creatures wouldn't be happier in the dark, but she pretended not to hear me. Three outsized newts, hanging motionless a few inches above the gravel before slowly backing into the pearlescent soup. When she dropped in morsels of meat, they snapped at them with sudden twists of their necks. It's ox thyroid. I'd like to see Maggie get that from her butcher. I pretended not to hear her. We watched the thin streamers of blood slowly twist and disperse. You must come back in two weeks' time. Three weeks later, Mother has taken delivery of a vast quantity of builder's sand. Bags of it are blocking the corridor and spilling over the floor, crunching between leather soles and plywood. I find her on a stepladder with a bag on her shoulder, enthusiastically tipping it into the tank. She beckons me forward. There on a promontory of sand, clear of the grey waters, sits a lizard. Its skin glistens darkly and it blinks. Eyelids, she was excited, and legs, proper weight-bearing legs, and caudal wasting. It means the tail's becoming thinner, thinner. And it's not a lizard, it's a salamander. We must be accurate. I have a very clear image of her going for the overhaul. On the workbench is the circular metal box. I want to call it a binnacle. He looks into it. Rubber tubing and the cuff round her arm. She has tucked her bottom lip under her teeth to bite and to concentrate. Brows pulled down slightly, showing worry or focus. She looks across at the binnacle that he looks down into directly, placidly. And who's the girl? Leaning against mother like she belongs here, also looking at the binnacle, wondering what's inside. The girl smiles a little. Upturn and downturn. In the rack, five clear glass test tubes with five clear measures of liquid and five dark glass bottles unstoppered behind them. The biochemist placid in a white coat, a pencil behind his ear. The mother lip biting, brow slightly drawn, a hair clip behind her ear. The girl, but where did she come from? Interested, curious, lips curled slightly into a smile. The binnacle we can't see into, but he can see into. He touches it lightly with three fingers. The workbench is plain, is what she would have called deal. I was fine until I walked into the studio. It was not knowing where to start. The sheer quantity of stuff to be cleared and sorted. None of it inheritance material. 
My sister walked in with a box of crockery. I hope you see that cups and saucers can wreck an expedition if leaders look at cups and saucers, I said to her. Or, and this is the new fact, engage authoritarians to authoritate cups and saucers. For sooner or later the expedition would halt to do the cups, and drinking water would be used in the desert to wash cups, and we have several deserts to cross and few and far are the oases to nourish us. She looked at me, her brows pulled down. We both looked sidelong at the tank under its dust sheet relegated to the corner. I pulled the old covering off it. Inside, nothing but sand dunes stretching for miles. The shoebox is filled with papers. One is a typescript lecture. The bottom half of the page is composed from three separate slips, two longer and one shorter, economically pinned together with round-headed brass pins that splay behind. The top, carefully cut so it starts halfway through a line, recent developments of medical science. The composite hole carefully attached to its parent with one deeply rusted dressmaker's pin and one splayed brass pin. An orphan half-sentence, that divine gift, the child, is today, struck out with one line of ink. Halfway down, on the rubbish heap of Freudianism, there has fallen a seed out of which has blossomed a new valve for parenthood. On closer inspection, a single vertical line has been crossed through the second V and a U written in the margin. A new value. A new valve. Mother's parental instinct spurted through a hose over which she kept a firm thumb. We walked our childhoods misted in it. Thank you very much. Um, time's running on a little bit, but I'd like to just finish with one topic of discussion. And it's... Uh, revolves around um, a panel discussion which happened as part of one of the events here that Holly was involved with, with uh, Claudia Hammond, was it? A panel discussion, yeah. Um, and the question was, uh, what can performance teach us about exhaustion? And I think you're probably both quite qualified to say something about that subject. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's a, that's a question I don't think I even managed to answer in that, in that, in that event, but... I think it teaches. I, I don't know. I think I think te teaches. But um, what performance tells me about exhaustion is it is that there's always like there's always potential. There's always information in that in that state, and it always it's 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 not it's not exhaustion isn't a metaphor that means an emptying out and the end of it. But it, that that it, it, that's not how it what it is really. It's just like a kind of a different state where there is there is there is potential and there is there is. Um, there's a different kind of information that can be produced in that in that in that condition. What what do you think? Well, as you were sort of saying, to, as you were talking, I was just thinking back to your your kind of talk and the way you were using examples of of forms of perform of specific performances, um, which kind of drew on drew on exhaustion. But I was thinking actually about so other other ways of understanding exhaustion not only as bodily exhaustion but the kind of the idea of bottoming out like that you might that you might exhaust a particular kind of phrase or something mm. and that actually in the doing of it new new things come come up all the time um and that made me think of the the work we've been trying to do with using a particular kind of tool of psychology called descriptive experience sampling so it's kind of quite a simple technology uh, developed by this guy called Russ Helbert, who's a psychologist in the States, and it involves um, a beeper, quite an old school kind of beeper that you wear in your ear and you carry it around with you in your life. And it goes off at random points in the day. And when the beep goes beep, like really quite um, um, sort of um, definite noise, you're, what you're supposed to do is supposed to note down what's in your experience just before the beep happened. And then you have this like really long interview with him in which a single moment in time is is discussed in in, oh, in loads okay. of depth, yeah. and we're really interested in. So the, the way to me it relates to exhaustion is that you think that this is a very kind of simple moment where there's probably very little going on in your experience, and then you have this interview, and you're kind of trying to um, trying to understand it in as much detail as you can and with as much fidelity to that experience as, as you can muster, and you kind of end up realizing that these moments which you think are sort of a, a nothing are actually in a sense inexhaustible. So mm -hmm. we're both I think interested in trying to work with that. 
mm-hmm. very meagre material mm-hmm. and realizing that things are never exhausted because especially and and bring back to performance in the moment of listening to a to a poetry readings for example you're always gathering way more than is just being being read to you and we actually did a yeah. little thing we tried we did a little experiment didn't we where we had a poetry reading and we were all beeped at same certain points in the in the reading okay. and then afterwards had did the interview the three of three of us together yeah and even even when i was reading poetry i it turned out i was miles away thinking yeah. about <laughs> thinking about something completely different <laughs> just having a completely different experience yeah. and i i I can, I can see the link to to tiredness because I, I mean i i kind of almost deliberately but i don't know if it's deliberate or not, but I, I I write poetry that is difficult to read, and it, it puts a lot of pressure on on breathing and and enunciation and and focus, and it does it is tiring to do. To, I mean, it's tiring to just read to do to speak in public, but it's, yeah. it's tiring to sort of do those poems. And I'm in so I'm interested in that that, that kind of that sort of extra extra linguistic experience you start to have when you're full of when all the, the oxygen's going to your head from all the sort of rapid breathing and and you're nervous and um so you, you, you your blood levels going a bit your blood pressure's going a bit weird and that's definitely not a nothing that's like mm. that's loads of stuff that's loads mm. more happening to when you weren't tired and you were quite relaxed and um you know Actually, there's a strong link between um, a couple of episodes ago. ago uh, friends of mine Nathan Pennington and Sarah Lester both tried to recreate uh, George Breck's an attempt at exhausting a place mm. in Paris, and they did yeah. it on the 40th anniversary in uh, Hackney in East London. And I mean, the critical part of the title is an attempt because, yeah, of course, yeah. exactly. you can't exhaust yeah. even a small yeah. uh, square in any town or city. Yeah. Know, there's too much, to, and that, that the whole process is re- a realization that there's too much going on, and you can't experience it all. Mm. Um, and maybe. Well, maybe what it's trying to highlight in a way is that if you're attempting to do that, you're going to exhaust yourself. You're not going to exhaust the space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if yeah. anything's going to be exhausted, it's going to be your time, your yeah. energy levels, or yeah. your patience. And um, but I agree, I, I very much agree with Holly about the performance. That I when, when I read live, I, I deliberately do things to make things difficult for myself mm. because I find I drift off very easily, and mm. I drift off from my own work really quickly because I'm very <laughs> bored of my own. <laughs> thoughts um in terms of re- like you know it's I, I don't know it's i find it very hard to revisit something that i might may have spent a lot of time writing because i don't necessarily want to look at it anymore mm. you know once it's on paper i'm quite happy for it to go away but but having this being involved in putting on live events and stuff you know the, i'm sort of you know i've entered this agreement with people that <laughs> we're all going to share our work and it would be a bit weird if i wasn't doing that as well but it's you know i I think that the the idea of the experiment is 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 what it, it comes back to and, and like it, it being an experiment and that, that's why I'm just so excited about this archive and the stuff Jamie's doing with it this this kind of strange historical attempt to to ex, you know experiment with experimental health and stuff but you're kind of recuperating it into an experimental sort of text and mm. and this kind of like putting things at stake and like performance is always kind of like you're putting your body at stake at some mm. point and you're putting your voice at stake and and um, and that I don't know that as a sort of a, a mechanism for practice is, is, is really important I think um, I think we might have to finish there because the time's running on but um, have you either of you got anything coming up that you want to plug or mention any events or have I I don't know. Oh, I, right, you lose me with come on that big thing. <laughs> no, the big, the big thing. The big thing. I don't think I have. No, no, no you don't have. Is to have this? We, I mean, Jamie and I are working on um, a book of essays that about all this. Yes. And um, stuff on the Peckham experiment and stuff on lullabies. We're going to try and write a sort of a sort of, a sort of manifesto of lullabies, aren't we? And um, so work on the Peckham experiment. So uh, it, there's not, you know, in the in the in the maybe long term future that mm. book will mm. and so do you have any blogs appear. or uh, where would people be able to follow the progress or where will things be announced so it's a yeah, go blog on. Yeah, go on. I don't know where it is oh, hubbubgroup.org is the, hu- is yeah. the hubbub one and we do actually have an exhibition uh, which will showcase a lot of work from the from the from the project and that is going to 
be at the Mile End Art Pavilion um, throughout October. Okay. Um, there's no information about that out yet because <laughs> because it's a while away. And we haven't got around to doing that, putting that out. But it's going to happen then yeah. and there. So. But, um, so the podcast Twitter feed is uh, silent underscore tongue, and I will be retweeting and uh, letting people know. I'll be following mm. this anyway. So once once stuff's announced, and I'll I'll be retweeting stuff. So you can follow our Twitter feed as well. Yeah. And you both have are on Twitter. I can put those links into the description box below the video. Yeah. Thank you very much, Holly Fester and James Wilkes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, check out the Hubbub Group. Was it hubbubgroup.org? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. For more information about the project, it's quite vast. There's a lot going on. And we're on Twitter as well. Yeah. And, Hubbub and Hubbub Group's on Twitter as well. Yeah. So there's a huge amount going on dif different disciplines and different artists and uh, scientists and it's just it's pretty vast yeah mm -hmm. check it out because I can't tell you anything about it <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much guys cheers thank you